Anil, we want to know a bit more about you and about this book. It's kind of like a textbook where it's not narrative like the Bitcoin standard where you kind of get this whole snapshot of history from, from start to finish. It's something you can kind of just pick up, flick through and put down or use it as like a reference book. You know, if a term comes up in something else you're reading, you can pick up my book, get a quick overview of what that concept is, and then you can go back to whatever else you were already reading or watching. So yeah, it's something I hope people will kind of just have within grasp on their desk as they consume other Bitcoin content. I try to make content that's very easy to steal. You know, I, I prefer it when I get credit, but I'm happy if any of my work makes its way out into the world and helps people understand this complex thing that is Bitcoin. Welcome back to the Freedom Footprint Show, a Bitcoin philosophy show with Knut Svanholm and me, Luke the Sudofin. Our guest today is Anil Patel, the author of the Bitcoin Handbook, Key Concepts in Economics, Technology, and Psychology. Join us as we take a peek behind the scenes of Anil's book, and we discuss visual learning, the importance of arming people with Bitcoin knowledge and making it accessible, banking systems, the Bitcoin marketing funnel, and the art of orange pilling. This and much more in today's episode. But before we start, we'd like to quickly remind you that the best way to support the show is to stream us some sats or send us a boost on a value-for-value podcasting app like Fountain or Breeze. If you get value from the show, please consider sending us some value back. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to like, subscribe to the channel, and turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. And finally, we want to thank today's sponsors, Orange Bell App, Wasabi Wallet, and Consensus Network. All their information is in the description, and we'll be talking a bit more about them later. And so, without further ado, here is Anil Patel on the Freedom Footprint Show. Nice to see you, Anil. Welcome. Welcome to the Freedom Footprint Show. Do the intro thing. Do the intro thing, Luke. (laughs) I think this was the intro thing. Anil, welcome to the show. Uh, did, did, you, did you want to be introduced as anything else? That you, you, I know you go, Anil said so is your, is your Twitter handle, but. Correct. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's, that'll do. That'll do. That's a great intro. Wonderful. Let's get into it. Okay, perfect. This is the Free and Footprint show. So yeah, Anil, thanks uh, for joining us and welcome uh, there was a little bit of chaos in getting this episode together, but we're all having fun. So, uh, Anil, just to start us off, I think, can you can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and, of course, the book coming out here shortly on Consensus Network, actually, when this is airing, it's going to be out, The Bitcoin Handbook, Key Concepts in Economics, Technology, and Psychology. I hope I got that right. Yeah, you did. Uh, yeah, first of all, like, uh, thanks for having me, guys. This is, I had a, a, a two-year pause on any kind of interviews, podcasts, or anything like that. So this is actually breaking the uh, uh, breaking that streak. So happy to do it with you guys. Yeah, I've just been putting out educational content around Bitcoin uh, for a couple of years now. And it got to a point where there was enough material that it made sense to kind of put that into a single resource. Um, and that is the Bitcoin handbook. It'll be out end of the month. Um, other than that, it's, you know, I'm kind of riding on the coattails of, of people already, you know, um, writing those definitive pieces in the space, Canute being one of them. So yeah, I guess I'm more of a curator, anything. Uh, I, I would disagree with that. I mean, uh, your, the, your visuals are fantastic. I mean, we, we've, we've all seen them on, on Twitter already and like, I'm so glad that they're, you're compiling them into a book because like. Yeah, I, I'm a huge fan, and I've been since first the first time I saw them, which I believe was like two years back, maybe? Is that when you started? Probably longer. I'm trying to remember now. Um, it, it actually started, you know how someone fairly well-known or famous 
will opine on Twitter about Bitcoin in some way that's completely uh, incorrect, like factually incorrect. And then we all pile on with our nuggets of information, whether it's an article or what have you. And you mean like Sailor and the hashing power recently? All <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, and so this was, yeah, this was probably maybe four years ago now. And I can't remember who it was. It was like a famous author. And they had made the mistake of um, ex missing that money previously was not a government invention. Obviously, money goes back thousands of years. We've been uh, coordinating uh, economic transactions for thousands of years. There was clearly something there. And someone shared this, like the evolution of money. And it was just dog shit. No offense to the, the person, but it was an image that was more uh, confusing than helpful. And I was just thinking in my head, if these are the kind of resources people have to work with when they're trying to communicate what Bitcoin is in that evolution of money, um, you know, kind of need to arm people with, with, with better tools. And part of that's like simple visuals, you know, they can kind of travel around the internet, make a point very quickly. Um, communicate like a lot of information in one snapshot. So that was when I was like, okay, I got to stop complaining and actually do some work. Um, yeah, that's, that's great. There's a lot of graphs and stuff, of, of course. Like we've all seen the halving graph, and like, uh, uh, but when you when you put the the uh, fiat value or or the the reverse fiat value over that, you get a nice little, you know. Uh, visualization of what's coming. Uh, <laughs> did you see the Wicked Smart Bitcoin's latest animation, by the way? Uh, I haven't seen the latest one, but um, yeah, I know he's responsible for some just awesome, awesome animations. Yeah, I, uh, I view him as sort of you, but animated stuff. Like you do the. I, I think he he gets a lot of ideas from from your work. I suspect he does anyway. That was a really cool one with the. Uh, Bitcoin, how many Bitcoins there there are in circulation uh, and uh, like 90% already there and it's flattening out and then you see the price of a uh, dollar denominated in Bitcoin just dropping like and trending towards zero. <laughs> and it's it's pretty mind-blowing. People have no idea what kind of a ride they're in for, I, I, I suspect. <laughs> no, it's a, and that's... All it takes sometimes for someone to have that aha moment is it just has to be communicated in a certain way for it to click with someone. Um, and then they have that holy shit moment like, wow, this thing's trending down at that speed. Am I going to have all my purchasing power eroded if I miss this or don't put in, you know, a little bit of work to understand what's going on? Can you tell us what your aha moment was? How did you find Bitcoin and figure it out? So I made the mistake early on of thinking that Bitcoin was purely a payments technology. And it is, but you know, the hard money part has to kind of come first to make the payments network valuable in itself. So it, it took me a bit of time to, to kind of get over that hump um, initially. I was dealing with a lot of international bank wires. Um, I was moving countries a fair bit in my um, early mid-20s. So that was just a nightmare. Uh, so it didn't take any convincing for me to understand that if I can move value peer-to-peer -peer outside of this archaic system that's going to fleece me with every major transaction and ask a bunch of questions that are a huge invasion of privacy, yeah, I was, I was very much on board. But I did not understand the uh, the economics piece of this being a hard capped money. So that 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 was probably the deeper rabbit hole for me. It took more time. Yeah, uh, <laughs> as we talked about before before the show, I recently had a had to go into a bank, uh, uh, and uh, you know when you try to withdraw your own money from a bank today. And if you want cash, they go, they are going to ask you what you're what you're going to use the cash for, and and if you really think about how how upside down and clownish that is, because it's it's me the customer who should be asking the bank why the hell I should give my money to them and not the other way around, right? 
<laughs> I'm taking all the risk. They're taking absolutely no risk whatsoever. And they still, like, the whole point of money is to not have to trust the one you're dealing with. Like, that's, that's the, the problem that money solves. It makes you, it enables you to trade goods and favors with people you don't trust. That, that's, <laughs> that's the main feature of money. Like, but it's so forgotten and it's so backwards. And I think people have no idea how, how far things have become. Like when we have negative interest rates and when your banker gets to ask you what you need the money for and not the other way around. I mean, it's very close to something very dystopian, in my opinion. Yeah, and you got to kind of experience those those pain points. That it, it, it's good to have those reminders to be forced to interact in the fiat world uh, every now and then. It just really hammers home how clearly we're on a better path. Yeah, and here in in Spain, like all the bureaucracy with everything, it is pretty insane. I, insane, you know, whatever you're trying to do that involves something with some official, with a notary or with a bank or with some authority. It's just, it's just completely ridiculous. Uh, then again, you you can probably pay someone a, a bit of extra cash and and get ahead, like get your errand a little sorted a little faster. So I think the way I see countries is like corruption is everywhere. It just depends on what layer of society you have to you uh, you have to pay. Like uh, so, in a non-corrupt country like the Scandinavian countries. You have to go to the people on the very top and 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 bribe them, and then you get your your uh, so 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 they get to set all these ridiculous rules for every industry like safety rules and whatever that only benefit the very big players so that they keep small players out of the market. It happens in every industry there is uh, restaurants, shipping that I was in was completely ridiculous with safety like we had had have life vests for imaginary passengers everywhere and, you know, 18 fire extinguishers for 20 square meters and so on. And all because because the big players can set the rules. And in banking, it's all over the place, of course. And you just have to ask yourself, these rules benefits whom exactly? <laughs> Is it me, the customer? Hell no. I can do a Bitcoin transaction. I could have, for instance, if I want to, it's probably easier for me to buy a house in El Salvador than, than in somewhere in the EU <laughs> and to move money back and forth. Because all you need is like a two out of three multisig and you, you set the transaction to activate that or to for the money to be returned after a, a certain number of blocks. And both the seller and the buyer will have to okay the transaction. Okay, I got the key. Okay, I have seen that he's initiated the Okay, we, we both sign and we send the money. So like 99% of the people involved in a, in a normal you know property purchase in in Europe are completely obsolete at this point and to, totally unnecessary. So and I find it so mind blowing because it's like living in living with the internet when people are still doing Morse code. <laughs> That's what it feels like. Uh it's it's so ridiculously re retarded. It's like people compare it to, you know, old snail mail and email but this revolution is so much bigger than that and it's so much when you're living it it's it's so bleeding obvious how boomery and clowny the the old world is and how how easy the new world is yeah so what are your thoughts on that what what are your thoughts on on like how I, how bullish are you on bitcoin well i guess firstly talking about you know fiat clown world i mean are you surprised i suppose is the question that comes to mind there's no forced innovation um, required by them because they never had to really compete. And anytime you give anyone uh, ordained power, especially within the financial system, you tell the average person you can be in charge of authorizing how Canute or Luke uh, uses their capital. You know, is is someone likely to go on a power trip from there? Absolutely. Why? Why wouldn't they? They immediately have power over you now. So, I mean, yeah, the incentives are completely flawed, but they make total sense in the context of, you know, the current financial system. Yeah. Yeah. You, what, you know, one thing that gives me hope is a, a point that Michael Malice made in his la uh, latest book, The White Pill, about, like, these mid-level bosses, they always abuse any little uh, grain of power they can uh, get their hands on. But 
during the Cold War, when, when Gorbachev and uh, Reagan were in power, they, bo- they had simultaneously had a, a uh, simulated nuclear war on, on both sides of the Atlantic. So, so there's the US and so the Soviet Union, and they both simulate being attacked by the other one, by the other superpower. And they both simultaneously refused to turn both keys even during the drill. So, so they no, I'm not going to have it on my conscience to to uh, to like instantly wipe out millions of people. I'm just not going to do that. But like, imagine if one of these bankers got on top of politics. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, you got to be hopeful, I guess. Yeah, you do. Um, yeah, I guess. Actually, Luke, what's what's your experience been like in Finland? Oh, interacting with. The funny thing here, I think this is probably going to be slightly more familiar to, or at least it will be familiar to Knut. I think like the the, the systems are quite greased. I, I would say it, it it's all very smooth. The European system, right? It's it's got all of these, uh, how do you say, um, uh, conveniences like the, these these instant. SEPA transfers that you just move money quickly. It, the, the fiat system feels smoother here than it did in Canada, definitely. Not having to use um, checks or interact, uh, for example. And and, and so I, I think in, in one sense, Europe maybe has a disadvantage because uh, the 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 barrier is is actually kind of a, a little harder to to get people to see what the problem really is, and of course we've got all of these uh, pretty much digital ID type things. Your online banking credentials let you access anything and everything, and basically, so it's 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 so convenient. But uh, clearly they. Uh, they know wh- what everyone is is doing and accessing. So, uh, I mean, it's not like it's full CBDC, but it's it's close. It's kind of all the pieces are here. And compared, I think to to um, Canada, the states where they're where they're thinking of adding these these measures is kind of like, well, yeah, Europe already has it. I, an example from recently is that uh, our our friend Eric Dalla from from Norway was was on Twitter talking to someone about uh, paying in in uh, over Vips, which is this this mobile phone app uh, in in Norway, and you need a Norwegian phone number. And we had been in 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 Norway for this uh, Northern Lightning conference. And uh, he he asked uh, quite a few of us at, uh, attendees, can he can he vips us? And it was the perfect uh, um, time to just sort of say, no, you can't, because this is this is locked into a certain country and and these rails, right? So I think the the main thing here is that People get used to the convenience and and Bitcoin is, but then there are barriers to actually kind of getting there in a, in a certain sense, right? I, I don't know. What, what do you, yeah. what do you think about yeah, that? Yeah, I have very similar experiences from Sweden. Like uh, Scandinavia in general are at the forefront of being the cashless society, which is extremely dangerous. And But only Bitcoiners seem to know that. Uh, so, so as Luke says, like everything functions very smoothly as long as your social credit score is all okay and you're uh, you're in the system. Uh, so right now it functions; it's very convenient for everyone in, in Scandinavia. But it's uh, it, it, the danger is there. It's the same trap that the, the Chinese fell for ten years ago, basically. So uh, yeah, it's a very scary thing. I, I see this like there's. One or two apps for for uh, your identification, and in Sweden, it's called the the bank transfer app is called Swish and not Vips, but it's basically the same app. So so there's one company issuing that, maybe two or three companies uh, issuing bank IDs, and there's Visa and Mastercard basically. So you have these honeypots, and like if you want to shut the whole country down, that's who you target. You you target Swish or you target bank ID apps. And everything's fucked. <laughs> so that's that's basically. Do you it. think that will happen soon, or will it happen like much further down the road? Because I mean, I'm sure you guys have seen some of these, you know, the job postings that kind of come out of the fiat banking system, or even the central banks 
and like the compensation they're offering, you're not going to convince someone who is like a seriously good developer to join those ranks and try and like harden one of those systems when there's the possibility of building something completely alternative that has much greater chance of long-term success? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know Like, if the systems are going to be hacked. I think they're, the, these systems are hacking us already. That's, that's their purpose. They're like malware inserted to your brain in, in a way, uh, since it's a central bank issued currency. And like I know in, in Sweden, uh, even the uh, quantitative easing or equivalent thereof has been very politicized. So, so they've been literally been printing money to fund state-owned projects. Which is a very, very dangerous path. That's straight up communism in my book, and it's uh, it's not going to lead to anything good. All right, uh, that's our exper- experience in Scandinavia so far. But Anil, we want to know a bit more about you and about this book. I mean, you're releasing it by Consensus Network. What, what's the, what's the book format? It's is it a big book? Uh, uh, will it be available in coffee table uh, size or like well, how, it's. It's a short read. It's only, uh, I think it's between 80 and 100 pages. It's kind of like a textbook where it's not narrative like the Bitcoin standard where you kind of get this whole snapshot of history from from start to finish. It's something you can kind of just pick up, flick through and put down or use it as like a reference book. You know, if the term comes up in something else you're reading, like the Kantian effect or time preference, you can pick up my book, get a quick overview of what that concept is, what it means for you know the incentives of a system, what it means for how innovation might develop, how, how people are likely to behave in response to it. And then you can go back to whatever else you're already reading or watching. So yeah, it's something I hope people will kind of just have within grasp on their desk uh, as they consume other Bitcoin content. I didn't set out to try to write that canonical Bitcoin book because, you know, Safe already wrote it or or I didn't try to write a book about deflationary innovation because Jeff Booth already wrote it, you know? So I feel like we already have those major pieces in place within kind of the, the Bitcoin library. Yeah. So it's, I hope it's different enough that it kind of finds a place. That's, um, that's the thing, right? You, 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 you find your own, uh, part of the division of labor you 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 need to find what your skill set is and in bitcoin like you that process is fast <laughs> like you, you throw things at the wall and see what sticks basically uh yeah. so so are, are the pages black or white in the book like uh, because on i have my twitter set to black so everything's black there and i think the pictures are black too right uh so yeah the the print copy i don't know if if you know how expensive black ink is but uh, yeah, I don't think consensus were too thrilled to do a hundred pages full. <laughs> so uh, it, it's a it's a pretty standard book. It's very colorful. There's lots of graphs uh-huh. and charts, illustrations. But uh, I think it's it's different to other books out there. But it, the topic of- but it's not black and white. It's colored. It's very colorful. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I'm I'm thinking instantly when you say like if you want to look up Cantillon effect and you, you or Cantillon effect and uh, uh, you can instantly look up or uh, get a visualizer in your book. Maybe like we should put references in the other books to like look up Anil's book page whatever, <laughs> page twenty one, and you'll find this beautiful visualization of it. Or uh, have you thought about like just integrating these? Have you had any talks with other authors of integrating the, the graphs into other books? Yeah, so I mean, I'm lucky that I've gotten to work with a couple of authors on books that will hopefully be out in the next couple of years. And I try to make content that's very easy to steal. You know, I I prefer it when I get credit, but I'm happy if any of my work makes its way out into the world and helps people understand this complex thing that is Bitcoin. I actually released a, a kind of draft version of the book just to email subscribers and and followers about six months ago, like an early version of the book. And it actually came with a slide deck that I made of all these concepts. So if you're at a meetup and you're giving a presentation or you're doing a keynote, you could use these slides. You know, they're really basic, very easy for a normie audience to, to get. 
there's, there's nothing really specific about Bitcoin. It's more just general, general concepts. So it was nice to kind of see pictures floating around of people presenting with these slides, because that's a market I feel like most Bitcoin educators miss is just how many presentations and talks are given on the topic of Bitcoin. I mean, you're one of them, you know, you're, you're yeah. the world, spread the message. And, and those people also need to be armed with the tools to, to do it because, you know, if you're a fantastic public speaker, the chances are you're also a, a pretty good designer and maybe a bit lower, you know, it's a, it's a hard thing to do both. So yeah, creating slides for people to use to present with, I don't know, I think that's something that I can do to help. Yeah, I, I'm going to steal your slides right away because I'm I'm absolutely worthless as, at doing PowerPoints or whatever whatever they called for slides for my presentations. I I uh, I get distracted by them, so I prefer improvising and and you know not be because every time I put up a new, new picture, I'm I'm trying to recollect like what was I going to talk about now, and I get completely lost. So so yeah. Yeah, well, presenting an art form too, right? Because if you're talking at a meetup to a group of people who maybe aren't that familiar with Bitcoin, it's you have to be very clear and you have to be very concise and you have to also be quite like compelling in the case that you're making. And those are really hard things to do if you're not like, if it hasn't been drilled into you. You know, I would say to you, Canoe, is like you're a great public speaker that you almost don't need visuals because everyone's looking at you anyway. Uh, <laughs> Oh, so, thank you. They, well, they came for the show. They didn't come to see like my freaking bar graph in the background. No, that's um, a, that's the way I see it. But 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 then again, like I could use a couple of slides. Like uh, I don't want to come off as uh, as just hit or miss kind of improviser either. So so like I, I'd like my talks to be a bit more concise. But I'm working on it, and like I might just steal some slides from you why why not <laughs> and then i'm i'm thinking like when you're talking about stealing and and collaborating and you know i guess you as many other bitcoiners don't believe that there's such a thing as intellectual property or there's only one intellectual property <laughs> and it's divided divisible in 21 2.1 quadrillion parts and that's it that's the only intellectual property so we, we just did a re-release of my first two books, Sovereignty Through Mathematics and Independence Reimagined, and it's called Bitcoin Sovereignty and Independence. So that's, and it's a good companion to the Everything Divided book. But who knows, like maybe later down the line, like three years from now or something, we decide to to make them all into a trilogy, uh, you know, coffee table book format thing, and we could include graphics in it, and we could make a collaboration and just put stuff together uh everything's possible <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, yeah and especially with this f wonderful network of of people you can just click a button and connect with anyone and do whatever project you want it's uh, it's pretty amazing i'm enjoying the ride yeah. <laughs> uh, that, you're right like it, it aligns the incentives among educators and creators because there's no reason to build a wall around your your content or material or books if people are uh, modifying it or taking parts of it, it's just going to continue to help get your name out there. But yeah, it's been amazing. Um, to I never thought I would have the uh, time or energy to put out a physical book. And you know, you've got organizations like Consensus popping up and saying, hey, we'll take care of that for you. Uh, you focus on you know, creating content or whatever else you're doing. And and we'll we'll put this out for you. So isn't that fantastic? It. Like <laughs> I love that. I I truly feel like a rock star when I'm collaborating with consensus. Luke, for instance, like he he keeps track of everything. Like I I didn't even know there was a pod today. <laughs> he sent me a message like because the calendar invite got lost somehow. We we have to look that up, Luke. <laughs> we can't have we can't have this. Uh, yeah, that would have been embarrassing for sure. But but what I'm saying is like. Uh, it's all about the division of labor. And to Bitcoiners, that comes perfectly naturally because we all believe in it. <laughs> and like this is one of my one of the uh, the thing that blows my mind the most about Bitcoin is how you say that all the incentives are aligned for educators and content creators. But the thing is that the incentives are aligned for everyone on earth. 
to just collaborate and we don't even have to shoot sats to one another. We're all incentivized to make Bitcoin better and to make life better for each other because if Bitcoiners win, Bitcoins w- Bitcoin wins. If Bitcoin wins, Bitcoiners win. So, so making life easier for one another is beneficial to every Bitcoiner. And if you just think through those vectors and draw them out as far as you can, you, you come up with the conclusion that everyone is incentivized to, to make everyone else's life better in the end. So it's, and it's like, what the hell? Can we do that? Can we just be nice to one another? Like, <laughs> instead of backstabbing and stealing and all this stuff, we can just help one another. Why didn't anyone tell us? Well, it was already there in front of our eyes. We just got fooled by this, you know, inflation is good bullshit. And <laughs> when you see it for what it is, it's just mind-blowing because we all had the ability all along. And Bitcoin just came along and, and opened up that Pandora's box for us. And uh, yeah, I absolutely love it. Yeah, that's that's a really cool uh, insight. Just how, and I mean, th- how much of that do you think is purely being on hard money. I, I think that, I think that's there's two things at play here. One is the lowered time preference that comes with uh, harder money in general. Uh, when you have harder money, so you know that your money won't lose value over time, You, it's easier for you to delay gratification and have a lower time preference and do long-term thinking. Like, uh, And the more inflationary your money is, the more you're getting robbed every day. And when you're robbed... You have fewer things, and you need to take care of food and shelter, and your 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 decision making becomes shorter, and you adopt a higher time preference. So that's one thing, the time preference thing. The other thing is this incentives align. So we're since Bitcoin thrives when Bitcoiners thrive, we're all incentivized to help other Bitcoiners with whatever they they they're doing. So we all do what, or most of us, at least, real Bitcoins do what you do and, and give away their stuff for free. Uh, this is for the community. Uh, everyone can use it. Like, I don't mind if uh, uh, <laughs> I stumble up, uh, uh, stumbled upon an equation once, which just took a life of its own, and I'm just enjoying, the, enjoying the, that to the fullest. I love to see it everywhere. And if it helps someone understand Bitcoin, like, we all win. So... There's these two aspects, the lowered time preference and the incentive to help one another. And even if all fiat goes away and we actually do hyper-Bitcoinize, or I shouldn't say if, I should say when we all do, why would that go away? Like there's no end point to hyper-Bitcoinization. We're still incentivized to help one another. We're still, uh, we still have a lower time preference. So <laughs> all the bullshit goes away and everything becomes all flowery and nice. So it's, it truly is all you need is love. Uh, turned into an equation, and uh, it's, it's absolutely mind-boggling to to think about the, in those terms. Yeah, it's you. Uh, this is actually uh, there's actually a quote of yours that came up for me like a couple of years ago that really like hit home, and it gets shared a lot. Let me just let me just find it here because I want to want to actually read this one. I get um, it was from one of your. Um, I, I got I, I got goosebumps from that compliment. <laughs> coming from you it's beautiful it's It's from uh it's from uh deeper down the rabbit hole okay i don't know why i'm quoting saying the quote when you're here in the conversation but because i forgot the entire piece okay when you cannot know how much a person owns and when you can't take it by force there's no way of enriching yourself other than by providing something of value to your fellow man and to me that's that's everything that's everything because it immediately removes violence from the equation. And the only way to capture someone else's sats is on a voluntary basis by creating more value for them than they can produce themselves. Yeah. And that leads to beautiful outcomes because we have such completely different visions in our head of what is valuable because value is subjective. So I might try to take your sats by producing something of value that I think might just be enough. But in reality, for you, it's, it's, it's way up here. You're just floored by the deal you're getting. So it just creates all these win-win situations everywhere, um, which you, know, you see on Twitter all the time where both parties walk away thinking, shit, I got such a good deal. I almost feel bad. And yeah. then you, know, you flip to your local restaurant and you see the opposite. 
you know, you see a customer getting upset at the staff because the bill is so high and the staff are frustrated because their producers are charging so much and the producers are upset because their input costs have gone up and it's just conflict all the way down on that side. So yeah, we're living in two different universes here. Yeah, beautifully put. That's that's exactly the the experience I have when comparing like Bitcoin world to clown world. It's 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 exactly that. And like production costs <laughs> like no shit that costs are going to go up when you print money and raise taxes on uh hydrocarbons. Like <laughs> like this CO2 thing uh, fighting CO2 it's, it's making it's what South Park called it ten years back, global laming, and it's it's an actual problem and it's happening everywhere, except in Bitcoin. That's, <laughs> maybe today's show is brought to you by our sponsors. First up, Orange Pill app. Stack friends who stack sats. Meet like-minded Bitcoiners near you and speed up hyper Bitcoinization with Orange Pill app. Bitcoin isn't an online-only phenomenon. And Orange Pill app helps facilitate the social layer, connecting Bitcoiners in their local area. The best part is it maintains your privacy through the whole process. And since you have to subscribe to access the app, you know that everyone there is high signal and cares about Bitcoin. A great new feature is events. You can now create local events and meetups right from the Orange Pill app to help build your local community while maintaining the Bitcoin only signal. Orange Pill app is available on iOS and Android. Download now. Next up, Wasabi Wallet, an open source, non-custodial desktop Bitcoin wallet that is trustless, easy to use, and affordable. It has CoinJoin built in to facilitate your privacy. Every Bitcoin transaction leaves a clear footprint, but with Wasabi, you can make sure that others can't track your steps and threaten your sovereignty. Just send your coins to Wasabi, wait, and your coins will be private on the other end. It's open source, trustless by design, and non-custodial. You have full control over your keys. Check it out now at wasabiwallet.io. Double-check that link. That's wasabiwallet.io. Uh, Luke, how, how much of your world is still in the normie world versus how much is lived in Bitcoin land, would you say? Oh, a lot, and I mean, I'm I'm still partially nimmed and everything, and I'm I'm uh, living one foot in the fiat world, one foot in the Bitcoin world, trying to do as much as I can, honestly, because I I I just love this. This is this is absolutely what I want to spend all my time on, really, and it's also my way of contributing too, because I I, I I've certainly gone through all of these phases in the the bitcoin journey trying to absorb knowledge and i i think i'm still doing that and so what other way to to contribute than facilitate using skills that i've i've built up to help to do things like this and, and all that but i the the reality is i can't i can't make a living off this yet and i i haven't uh, um been in enough cycles that i can just live off my stack i'm still trying to to stack so i i still i still have the fiat life and uh but but i'm i'm trying to to be a little more open about it and i'm i'm getting less um how do you say like uh um shy about talking about it to people and and i i think it word is getting around that my my real life is uh uh, in my real life that I'm, I'm into Bitcoin and people don't seem to mind, which is, which is good. I'll, I'll get them all eventually though. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The reason I ask, I guess, you just kind of said the, the, the link between money printing and inflation, like no shit. Obviously a lot of, a lot of Bitcoiners, um, kind of maybe understand what's going on or how that dynamic plays out. Um, I guess Luke, now that you're kind of stepping more into this world, do you have your maybe more normie friends or pre-coiner friends looking to you for perspective or advice, or do they see you as someone who maybe understands what's going on a bit more? I've got a couple now, definitely a couple, uh, certainly a few who maybe have, have asked a little bit like, do you know something I don't? And this is kind of like, well, yeah, but, uh, I've, uh, 
tried to explain it to you and uh, <laughs> it's gotten nowhere but uh by bitcoin um and then and and then uh, in other cases it's a little bit more of uh it's the typical blockages like uh, in inflation is necessary or else economic growth is going to stop it's like yes yes it is going to stop but yeah it's it, it's a it's a process and and i i think i think finland is is quite isolated uh the inflation isn't hitting nearly as hard the economy is doing relatively fine and and people aren't noticing these things really happening none of the banks are doing crazy stuff so uh it's 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 kind of one of the places that i think might take a while for people to really get a big uptick but but we'll see and this is so beautiful because this is like the, the the shittiest places in the world they have a head start here because in uh orange pill wise it's much easier to or orange pill uh, uh someone from argentina or zimbabwe or something than it is to to orange pill someone from scandinavia i guess uh <laughs> and yeah. yeah that's just beautiful because it's it's uh finally uh these people that have been fucked over so many times i mean all those countries in africa that are really ruled by French politics, they finally get a, a chance to just, you know, retake what's truly theirs. And yeah, it's it's beautiful that way. It's also just like the cyclical nature of nation states. I mean, yeah, yeah, maybe it comes to a final end at some point. Yeah. But yeah, you read enough history, I guess, and maybe that's where Bitcoiners have the advantage to some point, is they've seen the story play out so many times that when you're in a country and Things have been really good for really long. Yeah. Rather than relax and enjoy it, you're almost a bit more suspicious of some someone's kicked the can down the road somewhere. Yeah. Because people aren't seeming to work or have a drive to improve themselves or their society. Uh, that you know maybe there's a decline coming at some point. Yeah, uh, I think it's definitely cyclical with. Uh, and I think democracies have a best before date. Like they, they, uh, they all turn into authoritarian shitholes at some point. It's hard to see when you've been in, a, when you've have a democracy that has functioned fairly well for three or four generations. It's, it's kind of hard to tell that it's going down at some point, but all the vectors are pointing in that. And just, you know, there, are, there are two types of people in this world. One, those who can extrapolate from incomplete data sets, you know, <laughs> that's the, that's the thing. And try to explain that to someone in category two. <laughs> I mean, uh, I was thinking about the, uh, the visuals again and about intelligence in general. Um, do you think all, all people are, you know, have a visual intelligence to to some extent, do you think everyone, every human brain is aided by visuals? Like, what, what do you think are the percentages there? I, I'm sure they help a certain yeah. subset of brains, but do all brains see visuals for the, what they are? It's a good question. I mean, in terms of communicating information, I think anyone, if, if a country has a high enough rate of literacy, then you know, I, I still think text is the most effective way to communicate. It's, it's also very easy to transport. The visuals just help in a very busy digital environment. They can kind of cut through the noise where, you know, maybe there is a lot of text-based information coming at you that visuals now almost become the break for your brain and for your eyes. So I, I think they, they help get a point across very quickly, but there's probably not as much depth. And that's where I see myself sitting in this, I, I like to call it like the Bitcoin marketing funnel, where um, if you're familiar with the general marketing funnel, it's like someone encounters a problem. Uh, when it becomes a big enough problem, they kind of move down that funnel and start looking if there are any solutions available. Then they look at those solutions and try to make an assessment. And at the very end, they kind of make, take action and maybe purchase it. And with Bitcoin, I kind of see us all playing a similar role within that funnel. And I kind of see myself at the top of the funnel, where it's very much those introductory questions, um, you know, not particularly intellectual, very simple language, um, 
not a lot of depth either, but it's enough to kind of get people to consider putting one foot in the door. And then, you know, they, they, they go further down their journey and they get to you, they get to safe, they get to breed love, they get to whoever for, for maybe those more deeper points and nuances to, to Bitcoin. But visuals, I think, do a good job of just kind of getting people in that door initially. Yeah. Nice. Do you ever, do you ever feel that there's a trap in using too much mathematical visuals in the realm of what is actually praxeology? You know, value subjective, so you can't really, even though you have this supply curve and it's predetermined, you can't really do the plan B thing and say that this is how the price is going to go exactly year by year. And like, there are a lot of fallacies with those arguments, like since at the end of the day, value is subjective or everything subjective in in human society. So, so what, what are your thoughts on that? Let's, let's take the, the supply curve, for example, you know, it's very, uh, obvious to us. It's beautiful to look at. And we get a lot of certainty from looking at it. That's kind of what I take away from it. At least I look at that and I can see, okay, this this is the monetary policy of the unit that I choose to save in. There's a lot of certainty there. Great. I can lower my time preference and I can benefit from all those things you talked about earlier, Canute, like greater trust with people, longer term relationships, investing in those relationships, whatnot. But to even understand that supply curve, you know, you, you gotta first start somewhere else. People need to understand if money is necessary for the coordination of resources. If they believe that, they can move to the next step that, okay, money changes over time. If they understand that, they can move to the next step. Okay, why is that? Well, it's because of technology. Things get demonetized as innovation occurs. So there's like all these prerequisites to understand that one simple line. And yeah, that's the eternal struggle of Bitcoiners is trying to understand where someone's coming from and what point on that journey they are and what might be most useful or helpful to them at that point. So we all have to walk around with these libraries of talking points or images or essays to to point people to, because depending on who you meet and where they're at in their journey, you kind of have to try to figure out what might be helpful. And you only really get one shot. Because if you give them something, it doesn't really hit or they don't like it, they're probably not coming back to you next time. So it's a bit of a dance, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, I know. And like the, the term falling down the rabbit hole is is also slightly confusing because I, I just got this image in my head when we're talking about images and everything about Super Mario when he when he goes down to those tubes and he comes to another level or like he sometimes he can... When, when he's in the underground, he can choose between three tubes and come to like the end of the game because he, that's what the rabbit hole feels like to, to me. There's, there's not like one layer of rabbit hole. There, there's like so many layers, maybe an infinite amount of layers. I shouldn't use that word, but, <laughs> but, but anyway, you might grok like something basic about Bitcoin at first, but like coming to these insights about what we talked about before about us just being incentivized to help one another all the, all the time that took years for me to come to that insight like that that's that and i i think that sounds very cultish cultish and counterintuitive to most people so it isn't until uh, you've you've had to have a you have to have a, a quite a long bitcoin journey bef- before you unlock certain aspects of what this thing entails so so that's also why I find it so hard when people ask me about when I was orange pill. Like I get orange pilled over and over again all the time. Like I, I, I'm still getting orange pill. There are so many things like, like Noster, for instance, that just showed up from nowhere, not on Noster yet, but I understand the power of it and like how, uh, how insanely cool that is. So I'm working on, uh, yeah, I'm freeing up some time to do a Noster deep dive here soon. It's it's like how you contribute so much to Bitcoin without actually holding any, right, Knut? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I lost them all in a tragic boating accident, like way back. So so yeah, all, all I do is uh, you know uh, getting favors from people for free. That's that's the only game I'm playing. No no other game. So there's no money involved whatsoever. And that's the nice thing is there's almost been this return to you. You do something on the side of your desk. While you keep your fiat mining job, um, you try to produce value. And if Bitcoiners 
agree or decide that yes, that is valuable, they will reward you in the way that people should be rewarded, which is monetarily. Um, and then, you know, they slowly pull you into their world and you, you know, you leave your fiat mining job and now you're on a Bitcoin standard. And I feel like I've seen that happen so many times, but that only happens because there are all these great tools popping up, one of them being Nostr. And I play around with it a bit. The whole zapping concept is really, it, it has a potential to completely change the economics of, of content creation. You know, I get little tips all throughout the day from content I've posted weeks ago because the friction's just been removed and you've got all these hardcore Bitcoiners on Nostr that want to reward value. You know, they want to zap people and kind of show that, hey, this model works. And so I think we'll bring way more people into our world and onto a Bitcoin standard as, you know, just all these protocols around Bitcoin, I guess, keep popping up. Uh, and that's not going to stop. It's only going to accelerate as we have more foundations to build things on top of. So yeah, get, get on Nostr. Just, I, uh, just yeah. to see what's going on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to finish this move to the new house first. <laughs> Luke, we should get the Freedom Footprint show on Nostr, shouldn't we? We should have a Freedom Footprint uh, handle. I agree. I agree. I'm I'm on there personally, but I'm not nearly as active as as I should be. It's it's kind of hard, right? Like juggling the two platforms because in a lot of senses, Twitter is still the thing that has people not in the Bitcoin community there. But Nostr is where all the signal is. I keep hearing people saying that. So yeah, I I, I mean, it, the the other thing about that is on both of those things, I I love. Twitter for the connection and a Noster too, but I, I, I've got stuff to do and, and, and like, I've, I've, I'm not, I'm not on it all the time, you know? So I, and I feel like both of them, they, you need to be on it and, uh, and be, be using it to, to actually have it be worth the time. And I just don't spend it, unfortunately. No. Uh, yeah. After, after 20,000 followers, it really becomes weird and uh, the, you really need to put aside time to manage the thing because it gets just gets weird after that. I think the real benefit, if you're interested in spending more time there, or, or, or I guess here's, here's what it can do for you. The fact that you even understand what Nostr is and have a key pair to interact with whatever uh, client you choose is that you pretty much have a mainline to... Jack Dorsey, if you want, because yeah. now he's well, his time there and he's interacting with, yeah, okay, maybe he's got 10,000 followers and of that, maybe a thousand actually post regularly. And of that, maybe a hundred are ones actually trying to interact with him. So all of a sudden it's like walking into a conference room. Um, he's there and there's maybe 10 other people around. Whereas on Twitter, you're walking into a stadium. He's there and there's 60 other thousand people. Half of them are bots. They're all trying to get his well, attention. Uh, well, he follows me on Twitter. So ah. <laughs> <laughs> just saying that, yeah, where there is signal, there's also a lot of opportunity where if you offer value, you're going to get rewarded in an outsized way. So there's very yeah, few yeah. people you know to go into that conference room right now. Yeah. Like, like that's. That's sort of what what Twitter felt like uh, in the beginning, at least, because like everyone was on uh, everyone was on Facebook before Twitter started, like before Bitcoin Twitter sort of started and took off. It's like, uh, and uh, for me, Facebook was like TV. One day I just stopped doing it altogether. I'm like, this is bullshit. I'm not going to be on this platform anymore. I'm not going to watch TV anymore. Like that happened thirty years back. But 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 Facebook was just like that. This is complete bullshit. Uh, but Twitter felt like, you know, this idea of only allowing 140 characters, which was the the, the case back then, at least, uh, it's kind of neat because you really need to refine your thoughts uh, and put them into little nuggets and it becomes very dense. And uh, so it was like, yeah, people posted photos of food on Instagram and, and said the happy birthday to one another on Facebook and people who were interested in ideas rather than people and events, uh, went to Twitter. And, you know, that's the, those layers of, you know, what, what, what kind of a person you are. And I, I definitely like 
talking about ideas more than I like talking about the weather or the climate for that matter. Uh, so, so, uh, in a way, that's what Twitter was. It was an upgrade from the others. And I guess Nostra is just even yeah. more refined signal. Uh, well, yeah, the, the same things that happened to Facebook are now happening to Twitter in some way. And well, migrates. The signal's always looking for the ideal place to interact, I guess. Yeah. And Mastodon wasn't it. Like that happened a couple of years back. And we tr- tried to migrate the entirety of Bitcoin Twitter to Mastodon, but it never took off. Yeah. But that's part of innovation, right? Like you got to be the people willing to take that chance and experiment and tinker. And that's what we're really lucky is just we, there's so many people tinkering on so many different things simultaneously. Absolutely. Yeah. And like this, this whole, this is a point I only talk about in almost every episode now, but I think like this video conferencing got so much better after, after, uh, covid and uh, that in together with all these innovations in social media it's such a powerful thing like you say you're you're always one step closer to being able to talk to absolutely anyone in the world really <laughs> like how how many steps are you from uh, the uh, the emperor of um, uh, thailand like <laughs> three steps probably if you really if you really boil it down to do i know this person here who knows like you're probably not more than three steps away, and that goes for anyone in the world. So it's we're insanely connected, and the way I see it, it's just a matter of time before people see that it's absolutely ridiculous that different rules apply to different people depending solely on where they happen to be born. And we have rules without rulers; it's already there. We just need to like opt out of the old and into the new. I think this has been a, a great conversation and I think we might be uh, edging towards a bit of a conclusion here. So I think, uh, and Neil, uh, can, can you give us just maybe some, some last thoughts about the, the book? What are you hoping for with it? Uh, is the aim to, uh, to orange pill people who are, who are new to new to the space, uh, orange pilling aid, or is it to, to help uh, bring these concepts in for people going down the rabbit hole? What, what are your, uh, hopes for the book. I guess I have a bit of a, a different view on orange pilling that uh, people will get orange pill when they're they're ready to. You, know, I, you see, you can only orange pill yourself. Can't really orange pill someone else. Absolutely agree, one hundred percent. It's like you can't really teach anyone anything. That's it's up to the student to be taught. That's yeah. that's absolutely true. It's a good way to put it, the student. Yeah, you know, I hope it it provides a lens for people who already have a bit of an understanding of economics to maybe see through the rest of the bullshit. And, and I guess I also hope it, it just finds a place where it gets passed around a lot and it, it helps people better understand the world they're living in. Cause it's really, it is really confusing. There's a lot of, you know, intentional complexity added to the financial system, to financial education, to technology as a way to kind of keep the masses out or keep the masses ignorant. So something that's very to the point and digestible and not intimidating, because that that's another thing that pushes people away is no one wants to feel dumb. You know, that's 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 not something that's gonna encourage someone to 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 dig deeper or or, or, or journey deeper into the rabbit hole is is feeling ignorant. You know, you have to really be generous and kind if, when you communicate ideas like this. Yeah, uh, if I may uh, make a point there. I think this is exactly what made Donald Trump win the election when he did, because everyone on the other side were calling everyone who voted for Trump dumb, <laughs> and no one, everyone hates being called dumb. So they, but, but like, it's it's a very sure way to make sure that people won't won't be willing to 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 listen to you to to call them dumb in in any in any way so like that's a that's a great insight yeah and Knut, to your point earlier when we were talking about dealing with with banks and the fiat system oh yes if that that world's getting so wrapped up on its high horse you know asking questions like hey what what do you want to do with your own money you know we need to know i think that's a way of making people feel small and feeling ignorant that you know you're not capable or i guess smart enough to 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 use your own money in this volume without falling for a scam or we're doing it in your in the name of protecting you so the fiat system's already doing half the work for us absolutely and like 
ask people the very, very basic questions that you would ask a five-year-old. Can you please explain to me why different rules apply should apply to, to different people on the, in the world, depending on where they're born, now that we have the internet? Or how do you create value by printing pieces of paper and adding zeros to a number on the screen? How, how, how does that increase people's productivity? Explain it to me like I'm fine, please. And these extremely basic things, like y- you, can, you can have a conversation about those with people without making them feel dumb, I think. Because yeah. they are going to realize that like, uh, maybe I need to think, uh, maybe I'm dumb. <laughs> <laughs> but subtle ways. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like explaining it to someone like they're five. And that's a huge market, in my opinion. You know, I have two young daughters. <laughs> and the reason a five-year-old will push back on logic if if something doesn't make sense, you know, the same way it's very easy to indoctrinate kids, it's also very easy to give them first principle thinking as like yeah. the ground for the rest of their lives you know, to kind of like give them a defense system early on to see through all the fiat world BS and complexity, because that's that's the generation that's going to push back. You know, you kind of see what's happening right now in the US with, uh, there's a lot of things wrapped up in a particular bill, but the general mainstream narrative is we're banning this particular app that we don't want you using, which is predominantly used by younger people. So you have a younger generation looking up at this very, on average, elderly group of individuals who they didn't vote for making decisions about what technology you can use, like that fight is over, in my opinion. Anyone under 10 right now are not taking advice. They're they're like Bitcoiners in a way. They will just build around it when they're old enough. Yeah. And that's uh, why my favorite children's book is uh, The Emperor's New Clothes. Because it's it's just that it's a, a, a the, the kid notices what all the the adults uh, refuse to admit that the emperor has no clothes like the all emperors are naked like like everyone else under underneath the clothes they're all naked and <laughs> it's so like pointing out the obvious is yeah it's it's beautiful and it's uh, in that sense it's easier to teach Bitcoin to kids than to adults yeah absolutely I agree with that. The show is also sponsored and produced by Consensus Network, the first Bitcoin-only publishing house. Consensus specializes in translations of Bitcoin books and also publishes original titles in English and many other languages. Check out bitcoinbook.shop or consensus.network to see everything Consensus has to offer. We're also always looking for new contributors. Whether you have a book you want to publish, you want to help translate books into your native language, or you have some other way you want to get involved. So if you want to help spread the Bitcoin message, reach out to us by Twitter or email. Details are in the show notes. And finally, you can check out knutsvonholm.com for everything Knut, including some great Everything Divided by 21 Million merch and the Infinity Red Limited Edition wine. That's knutsvonholm.com for everything Knut. Sorry, Luke, were you going to say something? Just wanted to continue the prompt. Any, any more thoughts about the, the book? I, I hope it finds its place. I hope it's a slow burn that, you know, over time, maybe several years from now, it, it's it's still kind of found a niche. So ultimately, look, you could only put something out into the world and hope that enough people find it valuable. So my hope is that this book will do that. And yeah, if it, if it also leads to more conversations with people I respect and admire like this one, then great. It's it's done its job for me. Oh, yeah. it's gonna do great. I I I mean, I love the book already, <laughs> and uh, I think most Bitcoiners do. Your your work is very appreciated. Will will we will we see you at one of the conferences this year? Like or or a couple of conferences? Where where are you going? What's your plans? Zero at the moment. I've been keeping a very low profile for the last couple of years. Really wanted to just focus on family and uh, getting a few projects out. So there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Uh, last year, orange light. Yeah, like orange light. Yeah, bright orange. Yeah. Hope hopefully I'll be at a few North American conferences this year. Mm-hmm. But uh, but no promises at the moment. Okay. But I'm always reachable via Twitter. So anyone needs to get a hold of me, you know where I am. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, same goes for us. Just 
do you want a shot? Just call me. <laughs> we're we're here. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. So I think maybe to to leave it at that. Uh, just a, a reminder here: the the book is the Bitcoin Handbook, and you can you can get it at Consensus Network, uh, BitcoinBook.shop, Consensus.network, and we'll make sure all the links are in the description. And uh, Anil, your Twitter handle is at Anil said so, right? That's the one. Okay. Any anything else you'd like uh, like to direct our viewers and listeners towards? There is a link in my Twitter bio. It's to a site called uh, Gumroad. Uh, on there, I have a ton of free educational resources anyone can download if you're giving a talk or a presentation. Uh, they're all organized by topic. Like as I kind of talked through before, you know, if it's about how money changes over time, there's one for that. If if it's about you have questions around proof of work and is it boiling the oceans, there's there's one for that. Um, they're all written in a non-technical way. You don't need any understanding of Bitcoin to consume this stuff. Um, so it's all there. Go and take it. It's free. And, um, you know, teach teach the people you care about, ultimately. You know, if, if you think Bitcoin is really important and the people on a Bitcoin standard will be better off in the future, um, you know, take care of those you love. Simple as that. Yeah. But if, if we all do that, we're, we'll, we all win. <laughs> like, of course. That's that's the thing. Focus, focus on your what you can do locally, even if yeah. locally means the Bitcoin space. <laughs> what a great spot to end on. I think that's perfect. So thanks again, Anil. This has been a great conversation. Looking forward to uh, seeing the reception for the book. We're trying to time this episode either with the book being freshly released or will be freshly released. So uh, go check it out. All the links will be in the show notes and description. And thanks again, Anil. And uh, this has been the Freedom Footprint Show. Thanks for listening. Thanks a lot, Anil. Love the conversation. Thanks,